and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am thrilled to be joined by Chris Dow. Vegan steak and vegan sauce. And we are stuffing mushrooms and going around the world (laughs) in 80 games. and welcome to a brand new year of the o3c podcast we are here we are there we are everywhere as we continue our globe trotting around the world in 80 games adventure before we dive into telling you about what we've been playing over the last couple of months we just wanted to offer a couple of requests to you our dear listeners head over to our website o3c.games sign up to the newsletter to get weekly updates from us two twats straight to your inbox And on the homepage right there, you can find a link to join our Discord server. Come and join the lovely chat. And also, if you want to support us, consider these ways of doing so. Share links to the podcast on your social media platforms. Follow us on our social media channels. We are at O3C Games on everything. Or tell a friend in real life about the show. You could also send us a donation via PayPal through the support page on our website. Or consider pledging a recurring donation via our Patreon page. A link to Whit also available on that there webpage. <laughs> we would love that. <laughs> and now, on with the adventure. <laughs> so we're back. Uh, this is the first time we've recorded in the year of our Lord 2024. How was your Christmas? It was a whirlwind Christmas, but it was lovely to catch up with friends and family. It was nice to have a big old dinner. It was nice to do all the kind of social things that you do around that time. But it's never that restful as a holiday. Mm. You know, as a teacher, it's two weeks where you don't get much time for yourself. Yeah. And I'm always feeling a bit tired when I do actually go back as opposed to feeling rested and ready for a new term. Yeah. So it's been kind of a a shot a shot <laughs> it's been a sharp shock to start the year it's it's it's, it's been a shot but... in the pants of the year to be honest <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh but did you find time to play some games did you i always find time to play some games here and there i do my best i played so many shall i tell you what i played yeah give me some headlines So the Christmas break saw me blast through a few games whilst also finding very casual comfort in chill games like Power Wash Simulator, Tents and Trees on my phone. But I also took on a few games on your recommendation, Chris Dow. What were they? What did I recommend? Firstly, Handshakes, the nifty little puzzle game that sees you try to join two hands in a maze of increasingly complex obstacles. Absolutely brilliant twist on a familiar formula played through all of that and uh, eagerly awaiting the sort of sequel slash full game full game (laughs) because it's sort of like a a teaser game but yeah brilliant then i finished playing through xo1 which was as you described last episode a mind-blowingly stunning experience yeah it was amazing to play handheld on the oled steam deck uh, but i must say i am gagging to play it in vr one day yeah it would be amazing unbelievable and also, I took my generous birthday present from your good self for a spin, which was a Hyper Megatech Super Pocket, yes. uh, which is essentially a vertical Evercade yeah, with yeah. some built-in classic arcade games. And you also gifted me a brand new Evercade cartridge, the single game premium cartridge, Full Void, which you yes. also glowingly recommended. And it's an absolutely stunning little cinematic platformer. 
It's in the vein of stuff like Another World with a hint of inside thrown in for good measure. And it is some of the best pixel art and pixel animation I've ever seen. And I loved every second of it. It's amazing just how much atmosphere they can create with uh, such a small screen. I played through the majority of it, uh, split between my parents' two toilets. So that was great. (laughs) Two last headlines from me. I played the game Unpacking, which was stunning. It's not dissimilar to Florence or When the Past Was Around that I mentioned before, whereby you have a series of puzzles that take you through the life of a person. Unpacking sees you unpack a person's possessions in different places as they move through the different phases of their life. And it is just gorgeous in every sense. It's amazing like what it manages to do. Highly, highly recommended. And lastly, just to top it all off, I did a complete playthrough of Dark Souls 3. On, uh, <laughs> just for a <laughs> because laugh. Because why not? Just for a laugh. Just for a laugh. I started playing it because I wanted to test out the OLED deck, see how the new screen looked. And I thought that would look amazing. It, it did. And I just, just carried on playing it. And also for the first time, played through the DLC for Dark Souls 3. It was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. There were some mechanics at play, which made me really miserable and not in a a good way. You know, obviously, like you often can be in the Souls games. You're basically forced to run through the entire of the first bit of DLC without really being able to stop and take in the extraordinary level design and environments and explore it fully which sort of felt like a a real waste of an opportunity because there was some stunning stuff going on. But then you were basically constantly under fire from these enormous enemies. And even if you took like half an hour out of your play session to just slowly chip away at their health from afar and defeat them, they respawn again in about 30 seconds afterwards. Mm. So it's like there is no way you can take the DLC at the usual pace. And I'd be fine with that if it was for a section of the game that wasn't so visually stunning (laughs) because I really wanted to pour over every single detail of that bit. But there were some amazing bits and some brilliantly epic boss fights. And yeah, I just love spending time in that world. And I've done that again for a bit. Headlines, Chris. I didn't have a big games haul from Christmas this year. Like sometimes I ask all my relatives and Georgia and family to say, you could always get me a game from this list. But I didn't do that this year. But I did treat myself to my own Taito Super Pocket. So I have my own little hyper megatech super pocket as well. And like you said, it's a really nice new take on the Evercade format, essentially. Mm. What it also has is a built-in range of Taito arcade games, or you can get a Capcom model as well. But I went for the Taito one, same as the one I got you. I really like it. There's some really lovely stuff on that collection built in. So you've got Space Invaders, you've got Bubble Bobble, you've got Puzzle Bobble, you've got a whole bunch of other kind of lesser known titles that have been fun to pick through as well. And although the form factor of the machine does make some Evercade games a bit awkward to play because the shoulder buttons are not that comfortable to use all the time. They're sort of Mm. right under the bend of your finger. Many of the library's kind of more simple affairs, and especially their arcade cartridges, look and play just really nicely in this portrait style setup. So it's been a way of sort of refreshing the collection and revisiting a couple of those cartridges just whilst we're watching TV of an evening. I might play some arcade stuff and just see if I can make a bit of progress. So that's really nice. I reinstalled Sonic Frontiers for some reason over Christmas. Stunning game. (laughs) Stunning game. Uh, I clocked up another couple hours of play in dribs and drabs. I'm still not a huge fan, but it does look and run slightly better on the deck these days than it did when Uh, I last played for whatever reason. You know, I don't know if it got patched, if it's just the OLED being slightly more powerful. All these tiny things could have impacted it in some way. But it also, because the games had lots of updates and like an anniversary update at some point, 
you can dress all the characters in party hats now. You love hats. So that's got to add a point to its overall score, I think. <laughs> 10 out of 10 now. Yeah, probably. That's it. I did also get a copy of Sonic Superstars on the Switch recently. Ooh. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, it's more Generations than Mania, but that should still mean it's like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I like Generations. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it, but something about it just feels a bit off. Yeah. And it's like the pace and the speed maybe isn't quite right. The camera feels a bit too zoomed in. Mm. And I do intend to go through it properly because I don't think it's a long game. I think the whole campaign or whatever you want to call it is probably three hours or so. But after a few worlds, it hasn't really grabbed me enough to say this is the thing I'm going to play and beat. More significantly, and this may well apply to you as well, a huge deal for me. I managed to hit my quota for 52 games beaten in a calendar year. Oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, and I was I was really upset when we recorded our end of year special on the 18th of December. You were like I, 15 games short, weren't you? I was 15 you? games short. Yeah. And after that, I kind of made a bit of a plan. I thought, okay, what can I beat? What do I know is not massive? What am I kind of halfway through that I could wrap up? And it was a real concerted effort to find the time and energy to push through and keep my streak going. So I've been doing this challenge for years and now I've kept it going. I have a six year streak. I've beaten at least 52 games for six years running and I'm just really happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, I think I was at 40, 47. Yeah. Uh, but then I remembered that I'd also played Tapeworm. Yeah. So it was 48, and then I did Handshakes, X01, Unpacking, and Full Void to yeah. get me up to Good 52. Boy. Yeah, Good boy. Yeah. I'm only at two for this year so far. It's the 14th of January at the point of recording. I've I completed one on the first day and a second on the second day, <laughs> and I haven't completed anything since. But I haven't really found anything... Like nothing's really grabbing me at the moment. I think I'm just waiting really for the Prince of Persia game. Yeah, it's soon, isn't it? It's yeah, soon. it's next week. So that's going to be a big one. But well done for you, because that was a huge effort. Thank you. <laughs> it felt it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you buying? What are you playing? first game I want to give some proper coverage to is a game that had been on my radar since I first saw screenshots of its pretty awesome aesthetic, and that is Pizza Tower. Oh, yes, yes. I've played a very small bit of it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So if you haven't heard of it or seen it, imagine, if you will, the creators of Ren and Stimpy made a sequel to the Wario Land games, but did all of the graphics in MS Paint. <laughs> it's, it's spot on. Absolutely spot on. <laughs> it's got that incredible, like, exaggerated animation of, like, classic uh, 90s Nicktoon cartoons like SpongeBob and, and things like that. Loads of enormous expressions, bulging eyes and blurs of multiple limbs combining into one frenzied, hectic and frankly exhausting looking character. <laughs> and the developers have clearly built the game as a loving homage to the Wario Land games. And in fact, probably just got bored waiting for a proper Wario Land 5 that they thought they'd have a go at making one. Because Wario Land 4 came out, are you ready? 23 years ago. Fucking hell. <laughs> Jeez. I know, right? I know. The uh, the vague story <laughs> set up is you are a pizza chef. And it's actually, it's quite nice to see some some sort of cultural sensitivity in like an otherwise outrageous game just to sort of get the nuances of the character down without resorting to stereotypes. So you play as Pepino Spaghetti, and uh, you're trying to... (laughs) 
And you're trying to ascend the Leaning Tower of Pizza to stop your pizzeria being destroyed by Pizza Face, a sentient floating slice of pizza. Obviously. And you're trying to do stuff like collect ingredients and defeat bad ingredients. Honestly, I, I don't even know what was going on. But then I couldn't really tell you anything about the story of Wario 4 either, which this game is most closely related to because the level structures are directly out of like the idea of what Wario 4 does, which is they're fairly, fairly sort of linear with a few branching paths and secrets hidden all over the place. And you just catastrophe your way to an end point in the level. And then you have to turn and run back to the start point whilst the timer ticks down. But then the layout of the level will have altered and new paths will have opened up and new enemies will have appeared. And you're sometimes being pursued by something as well. It's all just pretty mad. Like when I started the first level, it was all a bit too mad for me to keep track of. There's actually a lot of mechanics at play in how you control your character on top of like the basics of running and dashing and jumping and rolling and picking up enemies and throwing them and, you know, butt stomping. There's also like a momentum mechanic, which you did sort of have in Warrior Land, or it's commonly seen in like the late game stages of 2D Metroid games, where if you run for long enough, you sort of go through and up three or four speed settings. Depending on how fast you're going, you can blast through enemies or certain blocks or use your momentum to run like straight up walls. But it's all so, so fast and, dare I say, zany that I just didn't think I was ever really going to get a hold of all of the controls. Sort of how, like, you know, in Sonic, sometimes the game's just going too fast and you can't really focus on proper platforming. And anytime the games ask you to do anything, like, too specific, it just becomes an absolute cunt. (laughs) But in Pizza Tower, fortunately, the controls are implemented so well that it all just sort of flows together organically. And you just sort of go with it. And it's so much fun when you manage to pull off like a big combo whilst pelting through walls and rolling under obstacles and causing general chaos. Like The art style looks incredible going at these speeds, although it's one of many 2D games that I just would love to play in stereoscopic 3D on the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if for nothing else, uh, just to give a bit of clearer definition between the foreground and the background (laughs) Uh, because to a colorblind man like myself uh, the colors aren't always massively clear the classic transformation abilities in the game that were a staple of the warrior land series where you might use a particular enemy attack to actually give you special abilities like if you catch a chili pepper that's being thrown at you if you catch that in your mouth you'll turn into a fireball or you could get stuck in a big ball of cheese and then you roll like a boulder and use it to attack things and stick to walls. Or you could ride on a hot dog or swing from a chicken. <laughs> Loads of ridiculous stuff, always making you chuckle. But Pizza Tower is set up for you to play through it in, I guess, sort of as much detail or at like whatever difficulty you would like. Like just clearing the level in any way possible is enough to progress the game. But then there are time attack medals to earn. There's graded rankings to earn based on how many points you rack up for, you know, defeating enemies, not getting hit, finding secrets, picking up collectibles. There's even like a super special perfect ranking to go for if you manage to kill all the enemies in a single level within the same combo. Oh, wow. And if these type of features were in Wario Land 4, I would have achieved them no problem because I poured over every (laughs) 
pixel of that game yeah. like for months i loved it but then i was a kid and didn't have much else to do with my time so i was pretty content to blast through this game quite sort of quickly and efficiently and you know move on to something else the bosses for the different floors of the pizza tower you are ascending throughout this game which is, is basically your hub world with like four or five levels on each floor but the bosses are really tough and almost made me snap my steam deck in half a few times but classic dark souls I learnt their attacks, I memorised the patterns, I got there eventually, and also just had a really, really good time playing it. I am pretty happy to put the game down for now and check it off my 2024 completion list, but I've left it installed on my deck because I may well go back to it at some point. I might try and play some of the levels again and see if I can find all of the secrets or unlock more of the costumes for my character to wear. I might also just get really sucked into going for the perfect rankings. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. Maybe. It's currently only available on Windows, and I'm not sure if console ports are in the works or not. I know it's a very, very small dev team, so I'm not sure where they are with that. But if you do have a Windows PC or a Steam Deck, it runs brilliantly on there, and it is such a fun time. And it's nice to see developers continue to remind nintendo uh but other you know big developers that some of these like dormant franchises are still desired like how you know fast remix was like well if you're not going to make f-zero we will yeah or what wargroove was to advance wars or even like a hat in time to like the classic n64 collect them ups and bloodstained being a better sort of castlevania game than we've had for years and i mean i'd love to see a new warrior land game or I, i tell you what i would love is Wario Land All-Stars. Mm. Ooh, nicely tarted up collection of, of all of the Wario Land games. But yeah. if they do ever decide to make a new Wario Land game, what this team have done is raise the bar for what Wario Land 5 would need to be. So yeah, Pizza Tower, very, very good game. I think 2024 is going to be a big emulation year for me. Mm. Like The Steam Deck continues to be my de facto emulation device. And I've spent a long time over the last few weeks kind of upgrading my emulator settings to better understanding how things work, but also to push certain platforms further than they might have been able to go on kind of OG hardware. Mm. So as an example, did you know that in Year of Our Lord 2024, as you've already alluded to, you can play most PlayStation 1 games in full HD with unstretched widescreen presentation. And you can overclock the emulated CPU. That means slowdowns just thing of the past wow and you can apply perspective correct polygon texturings there's no wobbly polygons and textures anymore i like them oh you would keep them on you got a little toggle but all that stuff is to say you can make older games feel much more palatable at least visually Mm. and kind of look and kind of play in a way that you might expect today if you couple with that the way you can basically change every game's input via steam input you can make everything feel the way you want it to as well it's amazing you can also tweak, say, emulated versions of the Master System or the NES to remove all sprite flicker. So games that used to feel really wobbly don't have to. <laughs> or, and this is the big one, you can go out and buy a USB sensor bar for about five on Amazon, hook up any old remote you might have in a closet via Bluetooth, and just play Wii games at 1080p on your Steam Deck. And there's Amazing. nothing anyone can do to stop you. <laughs> just, <laughs> It's just there for the taking. Like using the Dolphin emulator, I've been playing a whole host of Wii games, massively upscaled and looking really crisp mm. on my big TV. What a time to be alive, honestly. Yeah. Like there is there is so much out there. Back in the day, I was never that big on the Wii. 
when it came out, I was deep in my early 20s kind of colourful games are for babies era. Yeah, guns are cool. Yeah, they are. They've got guns and swearing. And largely, I just let kind of the Wii craze pass me by. Like, I avoided playing even Wii Sports for years. And I refused, and I maintained correctly so on this one, to play Mario Kart using motion controls. Jesus. <laughs> Anytime someone offered me a Wiimote, it was like, no, thank you. Yeah, no, tell her what you can do. <laughs> Fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and even like the, the other games that were perhaps more core, I distinctly remember having a conversation with a friend around the release of Mario Galaxy when I was extolling the virtues of Grand Theft Auto 4, of all games, and projecting a sort of early YouTube outrage at Nintendo's Blue Ocean software library. Because for me, it was like, well, you can't even compare it against the gritty, mature output of Sony and Microsoft. (laughs) And then later, like years on, I bought a Wii when it was cheap. A couple of years after graduating, I think, it didn't cost me very much. I sat down, I played Galaxy properly. And within about 15 minutes, I honestly felt like I needed to write a letter of apology to everyone at Nintendo because it is, it's such a good game. It's so good. But anyway, fast forward a million years, and I'm now in the latter half of my 30s. I'm revisiting games I only scratched the surface of back when they were kind of semi-contemporaneous and just having a lovely time. Like Galaxy at proper 1080p with proper anti-aliasing, with proper HD injected textures even. So the, the whole UI looks better than the Mario All-Stars version on the Switch. Wow. It's insane. Perhaps even more inventive than Odyssey, though I still hold that game at the top of the Mario pile for me. It just never stops subverting expectations and messing playfully with what we expect from a Mario game. Well, I'm a few worlds or, or planets as they are in the game in now, and it's just been really nice to unwind with in little chunks, just like a little few stars here and there, just a handful to to keep me smiling, sort of thing. Against my better judgment, I also popped on the series Oddity: Silent Hill: Shattered Memories to emulate and again like scary games i don't but believe it or not i had a nice time because i had played a bit of this game back on the psp i think it got a port there as Uh well and i knew i'd be able to steal myself to give it a stab again because it doesn't work like a traditional silent hill game it kind of compartmentalizes itself in such a way that it's not really scary so you either have exploration heavy almost point and click style adventure sections where you're just walking around shining your torch with the wiimote kind of thing And then there are, here are the baddies, runaway sections. Mm. And because they are literally like chunked like that, I know that if I'm wandering around the mini open world, there's not going to be any combat. There might be a little scare here and there, but it's nothing that's going to jump out and get me. Might be. So I can just kind of walk freely without immediate threat. Or suddenly you get these running sections that ask you to kind of engage mostly with like quick time events and things like that. And I can just focus my time to say, right, don't need to be scared because it's all meant to be scary now. So just press the button and run and you'll be fine. And on the PSP, the game was decent. Although, of course, I never finished it because it's me. But it's so much better on the Wii. Like maybe some of the best graphics of that generation. Hmm. To think that the Wii is only really a GameCube with like a little hat on. <laughs> like in, term, in terms of power. But the characters, the animations, the general ambience are all fantastic. The snowfall in the game is surprisingly realistic for the time. It still looks really good when it's scaled up. The sound design is really nicely implemented. And because I'm using a proper Wiimote, it also keeps some of the cool quirks of the console. So telephone calls, you get played through the Wiimote speaker and you have to hold it up to your ear. Of course you, you do. You control the character's flashlight one-to-one using the pointer. Of course it's you just, do. It's quite cool stuff. That at the time, I would have been like, oh, I don't want to waggle my arms around. Whereas now, I could be like, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm into that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know what? I could <laughs> waggle my arms about. I could. Like, at the time, many people bemoaned this game in particular for not being particularly scary. But for me, that's a real boon. It's all the better for it. So I've enjoyed that. Next up on the week, a really great puzzle game called Cubello. Its basic premise is that you have a slowly rotating shape made up of coloured cubes that are hovering in front of you. And you use the pointer to shoot your own coloured cubes to kind of make matches of four or more sort of buster move or puzzle bobble style. The fun twist is that as this is a 3D shape, whenever you shoot a cube at one side, the whole shape will start rotating faster as a result of that impact. So as you get further into the game, it's a real balance of working quickly to keep your match rate up so as not to fail the stage, but also picking your shots carefully so as to keep the whole shape kind of stable enough to work with. And it's just really clever. You get into a nice rhythm of kind of duking the shape left and right, picking shots with precision because of the Wiimote, Feels like playing a light gun game, but it's a puzzler. <laughs> really fun. Nice. And it holds up because it's such a simple art style in the same way that res will be timeless forever because it's all wireframes and things like that. This is just cubes. Finally, an actual light gun game because I was in the mood at this stage. The Wii played host to ports of quite a few Sega arcade light gun shooters. And the best of the bunch is a double pack of House of the Dead 2 and 3. Boom. And 2 is such a stone cold classic anyway, but I've also really enjoyed playing 3 properly for what might be the first time i don't think i ever played it in the arcade mm. it's a real shame that the first game in the series isn't on this compilation as well because that means the saturn is still the only platform to get a port at all and the saturn version know. is not amazing <laughs> isn't it wasn't there a remaster on like the switch there was but it's it's less fun than the saturn one i'll say oh, that yeah like the gyro does not do it justice no but still it's been lovely to actually play a light gun game like house of the dead in the house of the Dow. In, in a way that feels kind of pretty good on the Wiimote. Like it's not quite the same as a kind of old gun on a CRT screen like it was growing up, but it, mm. it's serviceable. And, you know, it hasn't got quite the same precision when you're just dragging kind of a cursor around the screen, but it's good fun. And the fact that I can now do this on my Steam Deck makes the console even more of a Swiss Army device than it was previously. It is literally the gift that keeps on giving. I... <laughs> Everyone in the world should just be gifted a Steam Deck and enjoy themselves all of the time. <laughs> My next challenge, and this is very brief, I've been doing a little reading to see how possible it is to use a Wii remote as a light gun stand-in for other games and consoles. Okay. I think it's possible, but it's not like click your fingers and it's done. It's going to take a bit of work to figure out if I need kind of other software running, if I need anything else to kind of interpret the kind of Wiimote data going in. But the internet says it can be done. And I quite like a tinkering challenge, so it might be something to aim for this year. Yeah. I think that at the end of the year, you should legitimately be able to put as your 52nd game completed, just Steam Deck. Yeah. For the amount of tinkering you do, like, yeah. it's ridiculous. If you put that time into games, you, you, know, oh, you wouldn't, yeah. have, wouldn't have had the rush. No, I wouldn't. I'd like, I enjoy it as much as playing games. And it's small things like I can be playing a game that, say, has been upscaled, like an old PlayStation 2 game, as an example. I'll see that one texture is slightly misaligned and it doesn't affect the way the game plays at all, but that will definitely be half an hour of me in the menus thinking, can I fix it? Is there a way to fix that? Is there some setting that if I just tweaked it slightly, that would go away? And then I feel like I have completed a game. <laughs> when the texture renders properly, I feel like a winner. But yeah, it's the best machine, console, computer, PC, whatever you want to call it. The Steam Deck is the best thing for games that I've ever owned. So the game I've possibly put the most amount of time into over the last couple of months, apart from maybe Dark Souls 3, is 
it's pretty much the same game that I was playing at this time last year, because last year I played nothing else other than Vampire Survivors. Yes. And this year I've been playing shit tons of a game called Halls of Torment, mm. which is essentially Vampire Survivors, but with a few little, I'm not even going to call them twists, tweaks, a few <laughs> tweaks. Yeah. Playing Halls of Torment has really made me wonder just how much you can get away with mimicking a game without yeah. infringing on copyright because yeah. this is just a couple of fangs away from being a total ripoff. Fortunately, it does it quite well and it's a lot more straightforward at the moment because it's a newer game and I'm sure if it's even a fraction as successful as Vampire Survivors, they'll have a roadmap of content laid out for Horse of Torment to roll out over the next, I don't know, however long. But like the setup is exactly the same. You control a character trying to defeat hordes of enemies within a 30-minute time frame, all the while leveling up and adding new abilities and perks to your build to become an unstoppable whirling dervish of violence. The maps are equally as expansive with that same, I don't know, I can't, I don't, there's surely a term for it, but that like wraparound yeah. tiling of enemy movement yeah. and a few specific power-ups and items dotted around the map to pick up. There's an array of starting characters to choose from as you unlock them all with, you know, various different abilities that will change how you skew your build. And there's hundreds of things to unlock, like new mechanics, evolutions of certain powers, increased base stats and all sorts. So there's always something to aim for when you're doing a run, whether or not it's killing X amount of this enemy or killing X amount of this enemy with this weapon or killing X <laughs> amount of this enemy with this character, etc., etc. It's Vampire Survivors. Like, the things it does differently, though, the aesthetic is pretty cool. It's gone for, like, an early noughties isometric RPG look, which I really like. Yeah. It's still using heavily pixelated low-res sprites to account for the sheer volume of sprites that will inevitably appear as you get further into your runs. The main thing it does differently is that your character can equip armor, which will augment your stats in various ways. And you have the option of recovering pieces of armor from your runs to then buy as starting items for future runs. And this is cool because it adds another layer of complexity and customizability to how you approach certain characters or certain runs. And it is really satisfying to find like a certain piece of equipment that you know will really help augment a certain build that you like or figuring out a combo of armor pieces uh, that will make it, you know, really sort of good or straightforward to get a certain achievement or something like that so that's cool and it's always exciting when a boss or like an elite enemy rocks up you kill it it drops a chest and you know will i find something good uh, will i find something new in there and then you have to find your way back to your starting point on the map to send it up a well for the well keeper to recover there's also potions you can make, but not really. I mean, there are various potion ingredients scattered around the different maps, and all you need to do is collect them all once to unlock the potions in the game, and then you get an amount of them every run. You can find additional potion bottles then, and you can send those up the well to mean that you've got more of a certain potion. But you don't ever need to go and pick up the ingredients again to make more potions, which is good because that would suck. Mm. But essentially, like the potions don't do anything other than, you know, like, oh, this is the potion of renewal and it just rerolls your items. Or this is the potion of oblivion and it makes you just like remove a certain upgrade from the pool or a potion of memory, which like pins a certain thing. It's just different names for, you know. Same sort of mechanics that you'd see in, yeah. I mean, any roguelike, to be honest, but certainly Vampire Survivors. One thing I will say about this game 
is that the sound effects are incredibly satisfying. It's quite meditative to zone out to the sound of millions of clattering bones as you sweep through waves of skeletons. Disconcertingly so. It's lovely. <laughs> the music's pretty good. Uh, it's not as good as Vampire Survivors, which is really, really good. But yeah, there that. are a few tracks that I really like in Halls of Torment. I don't really know where I've got to in the game. Uh, I mean, I've, I know I've beaten all of the available maps in both normal mode and torment mode, which is like the, the hard mode, essentially. I've still got quite a lot of stuff to unlock in terms of the sort of in-game achievements like Vampire Survivors. There's about, yeah, like 300 of those. It's a nice sort of no-brain game to sit and play and relax on the sofa. I've joined the developer's Discord now to keep you, up to you speed. You love being in the developer's Discord, don't you? I like it. It's, it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like, well, I want that information and yeah. I just don't need to go hunting for it, yeah. which is nice. And I like being able to be kept up to speed with what's coming in the game. And uh, yeah, it's nice to have another game like this, you know, to tick away in the back of my brain. It's also dirt cheap, like Vampire Survivors. Mm. So if you've played Vampire Survivors and want something similar, but slightly different, check this out. Or if you tried Vampire Survivors and couldn't quite get into it, give this one a go and it might hit the spot. As I alluded to in our headline section, and you've mentioned a few times, I did manage to beat the challenge of beating 52 games in a year. Like a buzzer beating end hmm. with the 52nd and then a 53rd completion, both on the 31st of December. Showboating. I wanted to share some mini thoughts on a few standout titles from that late push because obviously I didn't talk about them on the last podcast because I hadn't played them yet. <laughs> but I just want to give some cool games their due. So some that I've pulled out. Fishing Vacation, I bought on Steam for a few quid. It's presented as if it's an old Game Boy game, like simple monochrome colours, basic chiptune soundtrack. You're visiting a little lake house with a friend to do some good old-fashioned fishing. I like a fishing game. But you soon realise, though, that something isn't quite right at the cabin with an Evil Dead-style basement hatch that's been triple locked and some unexplained happenings in between your sessions on the lake. By the end of the game, Fishing Vacation goes full horror. And despite a few surprisingly effective jump scares for a Game Boy-style game, I made it through the 45-minute game a total of five times to see all the endings. Of course you did. feel that I properly had completed it. <laughs> Submerged is a game I've talked about a bunch in the past, not least when it was inducted into my top 100. I spent a relaxing afternoon towards the end of the year beating the game 100% for what must be the fifth time, I think, now. It's just a really great time with an implied environmental message that I think becomes more and more relevant and prescient with each passing year because mm. planet's fucked. <laughs> like, in the mood for more Submerged action, I then went straight onto its sequel titled Hidden Depths. And for the first time, I managed to beat that 100% as well. Oh, That's not one I had finished previously. Well done. It's a strange game, this sequel, in that I should love it, being that it's just a prettier version of the first game. But the couple times I've tried playing it on the PS5, it just didn't grab me in the same way. Storytelling is a little bit more overt. So whereas in the first game, you had to rely on environmental clues and pictorial symbols that you almost had to translate yourself, like hieroglyphics, if you wanted a more concrete narrative. Here, everything has accompanying text, which kind of removes a bit of the potential allegory and mystery of the first game. It's different rather than being better or worse necessarily, but I just didn't like that approach quite as much. Yeah, There's a lot more to find collectible-wise too in this entry. So again, it should be a good thing because the first game is essentially just an exploratory collector map. But the volume of these in the second game makes it feel a bit more like busy work because it made the game a bit longer. It felt like it was kind of padding the time a bit more than the first one worried about doing. 
like not saying this is a bad game at all. I really enjoyed it. But if I revisit the franchise in the future, I'm pretty sure it will be to have a brisk wander through the first title again instead of beating its longer sequel. I think Hidden Depths was double the length of the first and it kind of exemplified the classic bigger isn't always better yeah. by the end for me that looks much nicer, feels kind of better in the hand to control, but I just didn't enjoy it as much as a more truncated package. Lastly, a few free games on Steam that I got a kick out of in the dying moments of the year. You've already said about handshakes. Mm. Costs no money, so people should check it out. Sokobon-inspired puzzle game. Really nice. Snake Force is basically a modern-day cannon fodder that was a lot of fun to master, as the snake in the title refers to your squad, who are always following your walking line like the Nokia classic. And that means that success is all about traversing environments without accidentally leading your entire team into your own line of fire. (laughs) So that was really good fun to kind of feel like I got the hang of and beat properly. And finally, the 53rd game, this was the one that took me over the the challenge end point, I guess. A game called Geology Business is an idle game that you can't actually leave to idle. You have to click and be actively involved. And in it, you're mining rare ores, you're upgrading gear as you go. But I like this one because it basically had a hard end. It wasn't the sort of idle game where you prestige and then do it all again or you know ascend or whatever they call it in whichever game you're playing it was just five hours worth of play that i was picking through whilst i was doing other things late on new year's eve just sat at home because george was working and when the final war was discovered the last achievement fell and i was done and it felt satisfying to play a game like that that was also beatable whereas something like you know clicker heroes for example Mm. will literally go on for all time if you wanted to yeah (laughs) you know but yeah 53 games Oh, it's the next stop on our odyssey. Oh, yeah. We're in the <laughs> Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to be here. It's flat. I can see for miles. It's lovely. <laughs> do you want to know some facts about the Netherlands before we uh, really dive do. into some games? Okay. I really do. The Dutch invented gin and also orange carrots. Did they? They consume the most licorice in the world and also have the biggest pub in the world. Okay. Dutch men are the world's tallest people, apparently. Mm. And, of course, a Dutch oven is only a Dutch oven if you fart under a duvet in the Netherlands. Otherwise, it should technically be called a sparkling hot box. (laughs) (laughs) These are going to get really out there by the end of this whole series. Do you want to know about games development in the Netherlands after I that? I do. I really do. Games development in the Netherlands seems, with my research at least, to have had a reasonably slow start, at least in terms of notable releases. Home computers like the Commodore 64 and then the Amiga were the most common development platforms in the 80s. But it wasn't really until the 90s when certain releases that I was looking up started to ring a bell for me. Jazz Jack Rabbit ever played that? Jazz Jack Rabbit and its sequel were both developed by a small team known as Orange Games. They love Orange. And I have really vivid and fond memories of playing this DOS-era platformer at a friend's house and reveling in all of its Sonic but not quite glory, because <laughs> that mm. was very much what it was going for. 
Although Jazz Jack Rabbit as a series is known better as an Epic Games property these days, its genesis was with Orange Games. Strangely, again, whilst I was researching, Guerrilla Games, arguably the Netherlands' greatest export, I guess, in the modern gaming landscape, actually started life when Orange merged with two other Dutch teams. So previously, unbeknownst to me, we have Jazz Jack Rabbit to thank for big name PlayStation titles like Horizon Zero Dawn and its sequel. More on later. <laughs> on the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, a studio called Davalex Games would produce a lot of pretty mediocre yet successful, at least commercially, racing games like London Racer, Europe Racer, London Racer 2 and things like that. Bizarrely, they made two licensed Knight Rider racing games as well. Amazing. Not much to write home about, although probably janky enough that I'd get a kick out of them now. You'd love them. They are Dutch, so I thought I'd bring them up. (laughs) More notable successes in the indie space would be developers like Two Tribes and Vlambeer. Two Tribes started life mainly as guns for hire for handheld ports to platforms like the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance, but did go on to have their own modest hits with games like Toki Tori, its sequel, Toki Tori 2. And slightly more recently, a game called Rive, which they made that was kind of like a twin-stick shooter adventure type thing. These games are all available across every single modern platform and also last generation's platforms as well. And they're definitely worth a look. They're decent. Vlambeer are, or were, we could say, as they've since folded in semi-recent times, Hmm. modern indie trailblazers, like rising to fame and notability with a run of games so good that I still play several of them regularly. They made Luftrausers, they made Gun Gods, they made Ridiculous Fishing, they made Super oh. Crate Box, they made Nuclear oh. Throne. They're all Vlambeer games, and all of Amazing. them are brilliant. Like, I could talk about Super Crate Box particularly for hours, I won't today, but every single one of their games nails really satisfying game loops, really satisfying game feel, and visual and audio feedback that make them borderline necessary purchases on any platforms they're reported to. They just really, really make you want to play. And when you finish a game, they make you want to play it again. The biggest names, though, in modern gaming are probably the aforementioned Gorilla and the yet-to-be-mentioned Rusty Lake. Rusty Lake are a studio that has focused primarily on Flash games, first and foremost, but have now transitioned to mobile and native PC. Since their first release in 2015, the team have put out 17 entries in the Rusty Lake series, with each game kind of expanding what started as a bit of a riff on Twin Peaks and the escape room Mm. fad of the late 2010s into a massive, lore-heavy, self-referential series of point-and-click adventure games. I'm going to talk about these games in more detail shortly, but for now, we're going to part that. We're going to skip back to Sony's darlings at Guerrilla. Since 2005, Guerrilla have been a first-party Sony studio and have brought us the entire Killzone quadrilogy, or Tetralogy, whichever nomenclature you prefer. Mm, whichever one's correct. Well, which is correct. I know you have a real beef about this, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Across the PS3, PS4, PS5, they arguably represent about as AAA as games get, with each entry and each franchise that they've worked on being built using a mountain of cash, manpower, and time. Mm. Like, I know that you've got some thoughts on Horizon, Jonathan Ada. Yeah. Would you like to share them with us today? Yeah, and I mean, I tried. I really tried. I got Horizon Zero Dawn when I first got my PS4 Pro. Like, it looked like a real technical showcase for the slightly beefed up console. And it really does. It looks amazing. It's got incredibly detailed sort of character models and animations. The art design's very, very cool. It's all realized in stunning detail with beautiful lighting and shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> can anyone guess where this is going? And I mean, <laughs> the thing is, like, I can't knock these games too much because they are obviously very, very well made and yeah. very, very popular. But I just bounce off them so hard. And the mad thing, especially as I'm going to spend a large portion of this telling you why Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom succeed and, you know, games like Horizon don't, is, like, I bounced off Horizon really hard back when it came out. And that happened before I'd played Breath of the Wild because, and I totally forgot this, Horizon came out earlier of the same week that Breath of the Wild came out. Yes, yes, it did. Which is mad. But even then, I think I was still resistant to showy-offy games with little substance. Even thinking of, like, technical showcase games... Two examples I pulled out of my ass were Enemy Zero on the Saturn, yeah, which I was like, oh, wow, look at this. It's incredible. Or Alone in the Dark on the Game Boy Color. Uh, <laughs> like, even if it looks great, even if it's still like a half-decent game, like unless the gameplay is there, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, it does feel unfair to compare games to Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. But also, the early part of adventure games like this, for me at least, bear a huge weight of responsibility in terms of whether I buy into the game or not. Because these types of games are huge undertakings. And yeah. if I'm not grabbed by the opening few hours, then I'm probably going to knock it on the head and not bother. Which is why I've never got past the first four or five hours of Red Dead Redemption 2, even though I know that if I push through it to get to like the proper meat of the game... I'd be having an incredible time. Yeah. Like one of the brilliant things that Breath of the Wild does is give you very little to go on in terms of direct instruction. Like there's not long cutscenes full of exposition. There's not lots of hand holding. It doesn't bombard you with a million icons telling you exactly how you're meant to be playing the game. And I restarted playing Horizon on the Steam Deck. And I'll say, first of all, it runs and looks incredible on the deck. Absolutely incredibly. But just starting the game, you're just totally overwhelmed with all of this crap. Like, the opening cutscenes gives you so much exposition. You've got this father figure character basically talking to himself as he treks little baby you up a mountain. And then it skips forward to you as a kid. And basically the same thing happens with him deciding to start teaching you how to hunt. Which is convenient, as it's also the point where the game needs to teach the player how to hunt and yeah. it, it walks you through all of this point by point not that it really needs to because like i alluded to there are all these icons on the screen telling you what's what how visible you are how much noise you're making you've got your compass with markers on you've got overlays in the field showing you where to go next you've got icons over the enemy's heads showing you how alert they are you can then display their path of movement their weak spots all this kind of stuff and it's fine and I think there's there's options probably to turn some of this stuff on or off. But it just feels like the game is telling me how it has to be played rather than just letting me play it. Yeah. And I feel like those opening hours are just so, so important, especially these days. Because obviously, when we were kids, you got one game and you were stuck with it for a few months till you had enough pocket money to buy the other one. But these days, well, not only do I have more money to spaff all over the shops, <laughs> painting the walls with it. But also there there are hundreds, I mean, thousands of yeah. games available to play within a matter of seconds through sizable digital games collections, subscription services, obviously emulation. Like most games don't really get a second chance if I bounce off it straight away. And sometimes that's a matter of taste if the game just doesn't rattle my shackles a little bit. <laughs> but 
a game like Horizon, which may well give me a decent gaming experience past those opening few hours, I just can't be bothered because yeah. it's just not my priority to play these prestige games with the biggest budgets and the biggest film stars appearing in them. I just don't care about that. If the game isn't fun, it's not worth my time or my hard drive space. Yeah, A game like Horizon does a few things. I know what it's trying to do. I know what it's trying to do. And if it's not going to do it as well as, say, the modern Tomb Raider trilogy or Breath of the Wild, I'd rather play those games instead, you know? There's too much homogenization of these AAA games these days. And it is just money and profits and capitalism. All of these are just the mortal enemies of creativity. You know, the more money you pour into everything, the more you then have to guarantee its success. And the more you end up having to dumb down stuff. And so you end up with these bloated open world games with a million side quests that are all signposted within an inch of their lives. Nothing is left to discovery or creative freedom. It's why something like The Last of Us stalled for me on so many occasions because it's making sure i'm playing the game the way they're telling me and you end up feeling hamstrung like i think i mentioned about moments in that game before where i'd carefully sneak through a whole area taking down these guards using my silent crafty techniques and have a great time i'd be loving it and then i'd get through that area and a cutscene plays of me getting caught because that's the next story beat yeah you know yeah It's why I got frustrated with the last God of War game, because it felt like so many gameplay elements were entirely revolved around slowing me down to let the game catch up. And that's just so counterintuitive to me when it comes to prioritizing the elements of a game's development, because they're not mutually exclusive things, as seen in Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild, or even something like The Witcher 3, which I think is one of the best examples of how to do a AAA game an open world game in this style properly because it doesn't sacrifice anything when it comes to the writing and the story, but it also balances it with brilliant gameplay and genuinely interesting and creatively challenging side quests and things to do. Elden Ring is another example of a game taking the reins off and letting you play the game how you want to play it. And it does that by stripping the story back to essentially being a background to the gameplay. You know, it peppers the action with lore and snippets of intriguing dialogue, almost like it's scribbling the story in the margins of the game and letting the gameplay lead the way in a game. (laughs) For somebody who obviously talks about games a lot, I'm not the best qualified person to talk about where the industry is going and where the majority of people, the majority of gamers, uh, where trends are going, because so much of it is totally lost on me. But I do feel like people are getting fed up of these types of games, which is hopefully a sign that things will change. You know, you look at the Assassin's Creed series, those games are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more expansive. And it looks like the latest game in that series is going to take things back to, well, closer to where the series started, because those have become some of the worst for homogenization, prioritizing quantity over quality with the size of its maps, the amount of map markers and icons and side quests. And I think... The success of games like Baldur's Gate 3 alongside something like Tears of the Kingdom show an appetite for more tailored, creatively approached gameplay experiences. Because like Baldur's Gate 3 is essentially totally different for each player and how they choose to play through the game. And then backing that freedom up with brilliant writing, with great exploration and gameplay. And I think this generational leap of the last console generation is definitely going to play a part in this too, because... Something like Horizon 2 and God of War Ragnarok, they were dual developed for the previous generation. 
they were always going to be hamstrung by the technical limitations of yeah. the lower powered console. But then also like Elden Ring was developed as such. And Tears of the Kingdom is basically playing on a Casio watch. <laughs> you know, just make games yeah. fun to play. Take the ego yeah. out of development. Stop trying to show off. Just make the games fun to play. And I mean, I like bringing it back for something like Horizon where... I can play so many other games that essentially tick the same box, but are much more fun to do so. It's just a real point of stagnation for me. I think these games really exemplify, it's essentially like, you know, when you play Mario Maker. Yeah. And you're running about in Mario 1 graphics, and then you just go, can I have Mario 3 graphics? And it's like, yep, there you go. And then you go, can I have Mario World graphics? And it goes, yep, there you go. That's all of these games, like the core underneath of Horizon and God of War and Spider-Man, especially the PlayStation first-party stuff, mm. but outward to all the Ubisoft stuff and things like that, and yeah. I'm sure some Microsoft franchises as well that I know less about, they are focus-tested to oblivion. So mm. it's just, we don't get many games anymore of that kind of sphere that are bad, Yeah, but we get a lot of games that are, what you could say, soulless. Yeah. Because they are just ticking a box to say, someone said this is fun, so that's got to be in there. Yeah. And someone quite likes having those markers, so they knew where to go. So that's got to be in there. And they quite liked having a, a big actor do the voice, so it, make sure that's in there. And it's just working through a checklist like that. that you couldn't possibly say it's a bad game. No. Because they all function really well. They're very smooth. They're very kind of like streamlined experiences in the ways that matter, I guess, to make people want to play them and engage with them. But at the same time, if you're not the type of person who will play a game like that and that be it, you know, for a few months, it's just like, oh, I buy a big game. And then when it's done, I do another one. If that's how you play games, then fine. That might be great for you. But if you want to have different experiences, if you want to explore different genres, if you want to see new things, you're not going to see it in that space anymore. And innovation within any of these games is very, very minimal. It's just tiny iterative changes to say, sand off the edges more and more every time. How can mm. we make this completely frictionless? And again, for some people that might work, but I'm just not interested in the same way that you haven't been and you've given it a fair shake. This is your, your second or third time giving Horizon a yeah. chance and it, it's just not grabbing you. And mm. that's not your fault. That's the game's fault. That's Gorilla's fault in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to hear about some different games from the Netherlands? Yeah, very much so. I first heard about the Rusty Lake games when Minty mentioned them a long, oh, long time remember ago. Remember Minty? Remember Minty? Oh, love Minty. He used to tell us when he was playing them with Catherine, his wife, and they'd sit in bed and they'd share the iPad and they'd solve the puzzles. And they always sounded fun, but I never gave them a chance then. They then reappeared in my consciousness when Georgia sessioned about 10 Rusty Lake games back to back on a phone in about a week, <laughs> a year or two ago. And finally, last year, I decided to play the series in earnest myself starting with the compilation release Cubescape Collection that brings together the first nine entries in the Cubescape and Rusty Lake mythos. And although I'm not yet an aficionado on the entire series, in the last year or so, I have now beaten 13 or 14 of the games in the Cubescape Collection and beyond. And I found it really interesting to see the series develop and grow in the way that it did, but in my own truncated personal timeline, because I wasn't there at its genesis, picking them through kind of one by one. I've just been able to do them in one big batch if I wanted to. This is a series that, as I mentioned earlier, began life as short games made with Flash that overtly reference Twin Peaks with lead characters called Dale and Laura, 
in the first games. Lots of allusions to some of the more supernatural elements of David Lynch and Mark Frost series, and just a general vibe that seemed to riff on the success of that cult show. By 2016, with a few titles now under their belts, it's been really fascinating to see Rusty like grow in confidence in their own storytelling and world building, because I haven't had to wait for each entry. I can just see them all back to back. There's still a link to Twin Peaks in some of the character names who persist across the entire series, but also in the way that it balances really nicely kind of silly slapstick moments of comedy with macabre, surreal, and sometimes genuinely quite disturbing scenarios and imagery as well. I like to imagine the team having like a sudden epiphany a year or so into their run of releases where they collectively must have thought, hang on, this this could go somewhere. Hmm. These don't have to be like self-contained, just silly things anymore. And whilst also rightly reaching the conclusion, and we could probably charge money for it <laughs> because <laughs> the first few games are all free. These days, I believe Rusty Lake are pretty comfortable. They're probably not sitting on guerrilla-style Sony-funded war chests to support the development of their games, but they have continued to iterate and innovate within their own house style. You know, the original one-room escape puzzles in the early Cube Escape entries have now largely been replaced with bigger, bolder ideas. And some of the games are finished lately in the kind of closing months of the year really pushed the format to be something a little bit different to really kind of experiment with how they could tell a story and kind of explore wider lore in their own special way. So Rusty Lake Roots, as an example, I finished quite near the end of December. It featured vignette style puzzle scenes that followed recurring characters and bloodlines throughout hundreds of years of history. So you'd play them just as little pockets of puzzles that was really nice. Uh, another one, Rusty Lake Paradise, asked that I guide a family through a series of plagues in the late 1700s. The Pass Within, which was actually the first game out of any of them that I played alongside a very excited Georgia pretty much the day it released back in 2022, was a synchronous but unconnected multiplayer experience. Like you both have to have your own device, but they don't actually communicate. It's you speaking to each other to share clues. Oh, I think so, I remember you telling me about that. Really yeah. good fun. Works really, really nicely. You can play them without kind of any real knowledge of the series if you just want something cool to do with a friend or a partner, but big recommend. And Paradox, which fits somewhere in between all of these games' timelines, is a short film. So, you know, they're really exploring different ways of, of kind of putting things together. I've really enjoyed getting into this series. The puzzles are never super taxing. Even when their solutions are a bit obfuscated, there's kind of a nice internal logic which drives most of their world. They are developed first and foremost these days for mobile, so the PC interface of them is, is sometimes a bit janky, especially if you're trying to play it like I did on the Steam Deck via a controller sat on the sofa. It's much more suited to a touchscreen if you can do it handheld. But I can never get that annoyed when a five-hour adventure game is less than a few quid, even at full yeah. price. Like some of the other quirks and foibles that bother some people, like our assets being endlessly recycled in their games, again, it doesn't bother me. You could view it as laziness, but I think there's something more deliberate about the way they use these subtly mismatched styles and resolutions. And it's got a real intentionality, I think, because of the way they're constantly calling back to earlier games. They're referencing their own world building and lore. It's all just really clever stuff. They're just cool Dutch games from a cool Dutch developer. And in one of the early Cube Escape games, you play as Van Gogh. So there you go. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> you can't get more Dutch than yeah, him. You can't. You can't. I mean, the Netherlands. Wonderful country, never been, but I've got a very good friend from the Netherlands who I like very much. And that's close enough. And that is close enough, actually. Where are we going next, Chris? It's your turn. You're booking the tickets. I am. I've, I've got them in my pocket, actually. They, they've come early. Uh, we're going to Poland. Oh, 
There's some big releases from Poland. Such as? You could play any games from CD Projekt Red, which would include the Witcher series, which would include Cyberpunk. Oh. I believe uh, Techland that did Dead Island and games in that series and mm-hmm. Connected Games are also from Poland. And I'm sure there's lots of cool indie stuff as well that I can pick through. Ghost Runner? Ghost Runner. Is it Polish? Maybe. Oh, how exciting. How exciting. So come back here, 1st of March, and we'll be going to Poland to play some games. In the meantime, please do chat to us on social media. We are at O3C Games on everything. Head to our website, O3C.games. Come and join us in the Discord. Sign up to our newsletter. Uh, it's just, ah, uh, yeah, just, just chat to us. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us what countries you want to see us go to give us some games from poland to recommend playing Ooh, why not what a treat what a treat oh, i can't wait same time next month yeah i reckon <laughs> <laughs>